I want to share something with you guys this morning. I want to share with you the displeasure I have in social media. And this is where everybody goes, uh, I, duh, right? The displeasure I had in, in social media. I heard it put this week, and this was really witty. I don't know if it was original post from the person I read, but uh, with this season politically in social media, I heard it put this way. That someone wished that once they voted, they could click a button on their social media and all political posts would disappear. Isn't that amazing? Like that, I mean, there's gotta be a programmer, maybe even in this room that can make that happen. Um, but here's the deal. I could probably, I could probably deal with uh, the political opinion posts in pieces if it wasn't for all the other junk and filth that fills uh, the pages of my newsfeed um, and that pops up, the shares and all that kind of stuff on people's political opinion. Uh, but, but here's the deal. It rarely ever stops there in social media, like just at the political post. Like, hey, this is my political opinion on this. Vote yes for 1932, that initiative or whatever it is. I don't know. 42, right? When did Columbus, 82, 62? Oh, 1492, is that what it is? 14, in 1492, yeah. See, I know the rhyme, but it's not an initiative. That's why I was just trying to pick that. Um, because here's the deal. Not only does it go, it usually, I mean, most of the time it goes from a political post to a, uh, to really a, a whole nother level of piling on public shaming and, and attacking of individuals. Right, and this is—I mean, this this ranges in political posts to your uh, celebrities that are put up in front of the media, and then people jump on that bandwagon and pile on on top of things, really uh, shaming and attacking people. And uh, you've heard me say it before: if you do that to another Christian group, organization, or person, man, that's how you get to me. Like that's how we're going to come to words—not blows, because I've never been in a fight. But, um, but, but, and, 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 and I just feel like that isn't what we're called to be as Christians, right? I feel like we, as people, find way too much joy in raking people over the coals, uh, watching somebody's life get publicly, like, derailed, uh, you know, I mean, and I feel sorry for the celebrities, man, because their lives are under a microscope, uh, maybe you guys are in some positions in your workplaces where your life is just, and even as Christians, I think our lives can be under a microscope. And we find so much, I think we find so much uh, joy in watching somebody uh, get punished. Even if, even if we feel like they, you know, or like it seems like they got the punishment they deserve, we still find joy in seeing the uh, judgment and, uh, and public shaming that goes on with with people, uh, and, 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 and honestly, I think that, at least for me, uh, there's things that I've done in my life that I deserve so much more public shaming or whatever, but I would hate for my life to be broadcast that way. I would hate for my mistakes to be broadcast out than for everybody to pile on top of and, and, and really make me feel like crap, you know? And so, oh, there, I said crap again. Man. <laughs> so in trouble. Don't judge me. Don't shame me. Don't tweet that out because then that's like what I'm talking about, right? Okay. That was not in the notes. I promise. Promise. 
So for today, I want, we're going we're gonna to look at this a little bit. We're not going to look at the, the, you know, the that, that little side thing to lead us into what we're going to be looking at today because here's the deal. Like what I shared with the kids today, we're going to be looking at forgiveness. And what, uh, where is forgiveness in today's day and age? Where does forgiveness start and how does it, how does it work? And so uh, as we look to end this series on the Apostles' Creed, it's this week and next week and we're done, right? But my hope is, is that over this series, I've gotten, man, I don't know about you, but I've gotten a lot of way better understanding about the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins and, and Jesus and God and, and, and really stating what I believe. Like now when I say it every week like we have been, I've been like, man, I actually know what that means. And so I hope that today, after today, we can say that same thing about uh, forgiveness. That when we state the creed together, we'll do it just right here in a second. We'll do it again like we've done every week. That we can, uh, as we say these words, we can have a better understanding of what they mean. But then also, uh, going forward, we know what, uh, what, what it means to be the community of saints. What it means to be the, the holy Catholic church, the universal church. What it means to be forgiven and to offer forgiveness in our lives. All right, so let's everybody stand up. Stand up. Only two more weeks of standing together and reciting this. And we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together. It'll be up on the screen. It's in your bulletins. All right. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body in the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm excited for next week. Next week we get to talk about heaven. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. So you won't want to miss that. So um, what, what, uh, that second to last line in the creed is what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, and what I want you to know as we work towards understanding this is that our God forgives God forgives. He forgives you. He forgives me. He wants to work things out. And so I want that to be the overarching idea that we're asking ourselves as we work through this today and as we close in some more worship. I want you to know that whatever it is that you've got, our God forgives. See, we have to understand God's forgiveness and how he forgives in order for us to even understand the idea of forgiveness. And I think, that, I mean, there's numerous stories in the Bible that explain uh, God's forgiveness. And one of the better stories is illustrated uh, this, or maybe uh, more than some of the other stories, for me at least, uh, is written in the Old Testament and deals with God's people. And so uh, we, did, uh, we did an Old Testament study uh, earlier this year where we talked about God's people and in um, and, and, and doing that, they were called, you know, God defined God's people as those that were, um, those that were, had their hearts right with God. Those were the people that God had called and that, uh, who, whose hearts were right 
with the Lord. And so in the Old Testament, we understand that to be uh, who he's talking about in this story. And so one of the best pictures is remembering uh, God's people as they were working through the cycle of God's continual forgiveness in them and that uh, it, God's people started as they were enslaved in Egypt. And if you've been around church at, uh, for any sort of time at all, you know that this is part of the story of God's people. Uh, they were enslaved. They were actually raised up in Egypt uh, and formed mass numbers to do what God wanted, him, wanted them to do. So it was God's plan to have them enslaved in Egypt. And uh, as they were enslaved, they were worked to the bone and worked hard uh, as those slaves. And, uh, and, and, and God's people began, began to cry out to God. Cry out to God for him to deliver them out of this slavery and out of the oppression that they were in. And, and lo and behold, with God's people, God delivered them out of that, right? He took them out of Egypt with the Egyptians and, and Pharaoh and his army right on their heels. And, but he led them out of Egypt. And if you remember, God like did this, like one of the most amazing things in the Bible where he parted the Red Sea, right? And then God's people walked across on dry land and then he closed it up again. And, uh, and he delivered them out of that. And then, and then we have, it, it, right after that story, then Moses goes up onto the mountain uh, to uh, convene with God. Right, he goes up, to, he takes the Ten Commandments up to him, he's gonna chisel them out on the rock. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and God and him are gonna work on that together. And you know, who knows how long he was up there, it's not really totally known. Uh, not a too long a time compared to the way that God had worked. Like I... You know, I mean, I'd been pretty amped about what God was doing, even if I wasn't up with Moses on the mountain. But God's people down at the bottom of the mountain uh, start to grumble and start to, like, kind of get, um, get uh, un- un- unrest with what's going on. They think that the God that had taken them out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery, that had parted the sea, that had delivered them there, that had put them there, that actually now he had abandoned them. And that they were going to die now. And I want to say... Weeks, maybe at max a month that Moses was up on the mountain, all right? Not significant amount of time for you to lose track of what God has already done in your life, right? At least with all that he's done. And so they're getting, they're down at the bottom of the hill and God's people are like, man, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And uh, Aaron, who was like Moses's like secondhand man, went up with him but then actually came back down. And so the people come to Aaron, they're like, Aaron, hey, uh, what are we gonna do? Our God has abandoned us here, and we're actually going to die now. Like, they've lost all faith, all trust, all, like, sight of what God had already done in their life. And so they do what, you know, what is, what, you know, is obviously the right choice. They gather up all their gold, they melt it together, and they make a calf. Okay? A calf. And they say, well, this is our God now, right? And we're going to worship this God because this is the God that delivered us out of Egypt. Really? Like, I can't even imagine that. Like, all of what God has done leading up to that point, that that's where they're going to land, right? And so uh, it actually even says that they claim this idol to be their God, and then they have, like, a rated R party down at the bottom of the hill. We'll just keep it, like, PG-ish here. Uh, They eat and drink and have a lot of rated our party fun. All right. So we'll just leave it there. I can say crap, but I can't do that. All right. So, uh, 
So just after that short period of time, they've completely lost sight and track of what God has done. And, 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 and so now we have this moment of, uh, of where God's people, who he delivered, who he's like just done amazing things for, completely lose track and sight of God in their lives. You guys ever been there? Sometimes. There's three or four of us. We can form a club. Um, I've always wanted to be a part of a club. Um, but no. Uh, other, everybody else wasn't telling the truth, just so everybody else. Um, and so you'd think in this moment, you'd think in this moment that God would bring judgment. Like he would bring punishment. There would be like uh, storms and like, you know, blood and, and, and God's people being judged and, and uh, wiped off the planet. And then he'd be like, I mean, because that's, whew, I mean, to be where they're at, but that isn't what happens. God displays, well, here, I'll read it. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. This is God audibly speaking uh, to his people, to Moses and his people. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for their sin of the parents in the third and four, uh, to the third and fourth generation. And so what we have here is a God who in the moment doesn't wipe his people off the planet, doesn't, uh, you know, take and kill half of them in penalty or even, you know, throw them in time out, really. Um, he says no. He's, he's not a God that a lot of the times it's easy for me at least when it comes to the things I'm struggling with to view him as this dictator, this person uh, who if we don't live up to his uh, will in our lives, well then he'll, uh, he'll just leave us alone like uh, the, the people of God did at that time. Um, and, and, and he isn't like the overbearing father that maybe some of us had had that or that I maybe act out too much in my life that just punishes and punishes and punishes, right? It says that he's compassionate and he's gracious. It says that he's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. I don't know, like, I, I don't know that I'm ever really experiencing abounding in anything but it's got to be pretty amazing. And for it to be said that God's got abounding love. This is love that does not run out. Love and faithfulness that does not, you know, run dry by the end of the week or the month or uh, the end of the year or uh, the end of the season of your life that you've been struggling for. So, that, like, it does not run out. That God is forgiving of wickedness, rebellion, and sin in our lives. We talked about this the very 
first week we opened up the Apostles' Creed, but do you believe that that is what God is? Those things. Do you believe God is compassionate and gracious? Do you believe your God is slow to anger and dealing with you, abounding in love, more love than you would ever uh, test? That he's faithful, that he's willing to forgive all wickedness, rebellion, and sin in your life. Do you believe that that is your God? Those are some pretty significant statements. And if we were to believe those truly in our hearts and believe that that is who our God is, man, would we walk in a light that, is, that would shine brighter than anything. And so what I want us to know, uh, this, what I want you to understand this morning as we kind of work through this is that what you think about God, and this is the point that we talked about when we, when we talked about, I believe in God the Father Almighty. What you believe about God really defines how you receive those things from God, and it's specifically this morning forgiveness, because I think that's one of the big things that gets in the way for us, and it's one of the, actually, it's probably one of the most unique things that displays how great God is in our lives. So what you believe about God really shapes how you define and depict the forgiveness in your life. And I think that it isn't a stretch for all of us, even though only five of us rose our hand, that we all need forgiveness in our lives. Like, that's not optional. I think that, you know, whether you uh, have kids and you uh, yelled at them on the way to church this morning because they weren't getting ready fast enough and they didn't eat their breakfast fast enough, and they didn't have their socks on in time, and they didn't put their jacket on, or they were bickering and fighting, uh, and you had to just, okay, sorry, that was just, is that just me? Sorry. Heather's gone, so I had to do it. Um, but, yeah, sorry. But we, we need forgiveness for our actions in our lives. And, and that is something we preached all throughout this series of the Apostles' Creed. Is knowing, and especially when we talked about Jesus and the, and uh, the, and, uh, and 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 looking at him, that is the common thing. We we are a broken people, who make wrong choices all too often, and because of that, we need this forgiveness. But here's the deal: God, God so seriously hates our sin, hates those things in our life that. Uh, that, that, we, uh, that, that we act out or th- those times we interact with our children or uh, the times maybe we're uh, in opposition of our spouses or the times where we, uh, you know, are, don't always do the uh, tried, tested and true thing in our life. Uh, when we act out, when we, uh, when, we, when we know in our head we shouldn't do it, but we do it anyways, or like we, we talked about, when we talked about it earlier in the creed, where we omit uh, doing the right thing even though we know we should do it. Like all those areas in our lives call for that forgiveness. But it calls, and God seriously hates that in our lives. But the flip side of that is that hate comes out of an, 
a, a love that we sang about that we can't even comprehend. Because even though he hates that area of our life, he loves us uh, infinitely more than we could ever know, despite that. And that doesn't change. Some of the times we work through some of this stuff, but yet this doesn't change. Like, oh, he loves me more now because I got through it. Like, I'm a little bit better. Now he loves me more. Just like I'm a little bit worse, God's leaving me alone. Like, that, those don't compute. This doesn't change. This affects our lives. So God hates that. He hates that in our lives. And we know this because we get, we get probably, and if you're a parent, this is a huge uh, definition of it for us. We get, a, we get a, a, a severity check in how much he hates it because of what he says here at the second half of that Exodus verse. He says, yet... He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children uh, for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So I had to like do a little geeking out on this to figure out like what does this really mean to me? What is the Bible trying to tell us in this? And it's just this, that my sin has huge ramifications not only for my life. So like my kids, and quite frankly in the position God's put me in, my sin affects my children, affects you guys, affects the people that are around me. It does, okay? But you guys are not accountable for my sin. My children's... uh, my children's salvation, their, their uh, life everlasting, what we'll talk about last, next week, is not affected by my sin. Uh, that, the, the long, you know, their salvation and their life's not worked out based on me. But because of my sin and how I act and do things here on earth directly affects them here on earth. They will struggle with how much I struggle over here. You guys will struggle if I slip sliding over here and I get into this wrong place with God, this, this sinful lifestyle of, that God hates. He hates it. My kids and the people around me will struggle when I'm struggling over here. And in that verse, it talks about that. The third and the fourth generation will suffer because of my sin. That to me is God saying, man, work this stuff out because I've got some great stuff over here planned for you and for your, your, your kids and, and the generations to come and the impact that I've called you to in your life. Right? Knowing we need uh, forgiveness and ultimately here... Because that's, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty heavy. We could do like a whole series on, on that. But, but the idea is knowing we need forgiveness and actually receiving the forgiveness is I think where we hang up a little bit. Because there's quite a big difference in that. Knowing we need forgiveness and receiving re- forgiveness is really two uh, separate things. Right? Okay. Uh, True forgiveness, true forgiveness, and I think this is where we get the, the human side mixed up a little bit. True forgiveness is 
freeing and forever and complete. Like complete. Like we just forgive. That's what, we, that's, that's what forgiveness means. Now we operate with we forgive. It's not necessarily freeing. Uh, it's not forever because it affects the way I interact with you. And it's far from complete. But God's forgiveness is, 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 is complete, like forgiven when we receive it. We're forgiven, okay? Do you believe that about God? That whatever you've done and struggled with in your life and you work it out with God in forgiveness, do you believe that? Like that's a forever thing. Like God forgives you. Leave it alone. Or do you continue to, man, I don't know. I think we worked it out. It controls me still. See, because here's the deal. God is all about reconciliation. He wants us to be uh, reconciled in relationship with him, and, and that's just in, 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 in the best commune possible, as we talked about the communion of saints, in the best relationship possible with him. That's where we're reconciled in him. So 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, all this, is, uh, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God uh, was, reconciled, uh, was reconciling the wor- world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, but he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God doesn't keep track like we keep track of all the ways we messed up, put it on a list so that we can be reminded of it. Like, he uses the eraser or the pencil. And, like, and he actually gets it all. Like, there's not like you can still see the outline of the word and be like, well, I'm reminded of that, my anger. You know, it's still there. It's not, maybe I can't see it, but it's still there and I still struggle with it. Right? Like, he completely forgives us of it, erases it, doesn't want us to even go there again. And, and I liken it to this because here's the deal. This is what is very true for me, actually, in understanding this a little bit better. Um, is the understand of uh, the human side of asking for forgiveness. So how many of you have ever had somebody uh, do something wrong to you where they needed to be like sorry and forgiven for? I'm gonna wait until everybody raises their hand. <laughs> no. Okay, so most of the time, and maybe it's just me, most of the time how that works out is that, you know, there's that tough, awkward conversation, you know, the avoiding any confrontation that's you know, we can raise both our hands to all of us. Most of us want to avoid confrontation. Uh, where you've worked it out, then you've forgiven them, and then what happens? You see them in the grocery store, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> like, right? Like, or like, you run into them at church, and you're like, oh, man, um, I'm going to go get some coffee. You know, like, oh, we can't sit here. You know, no. But, I mean, that's kind of how it works. So whatever it is that happened in your life you haven't really worked through the forgiveness because it's still very much affecting your relationship. Can you guys relate to that? Right? I mean, that's kind of what happens in our lives, whether it's your kids, your wife, your neighbor, your uh, another parent in your kids' class. Um, you know, I don't know. Like, it, whatever it may be, more times than not, it's still there and still directly affecting the relationship quite a bit. But see, that's what's different about God's forgiveness if we really truly press into God's forgiveness and really truly kind of give it to him, it's gone. Like God's not thinking about it anymore. The only time we think about it is when we bring it back up or we do it again, right? 
And I think that that's where like, we get to operate in this wrestling match with God. And you heard me say last week that we are not a church that's got it all figured out. And I'm glad that people can show up in here with whatever stuff they bring and not mess things up because things are already messed up. We're already messed up people. I'm a messed up leader, right? And you're following me. So we just fall in line, right? And so, well, you're not following me. Sorry. You're following Jesus, and I'm just kind of letting him speak through me. Let me make that very clear. Um, so uh, in this, we get to operate in this thing. And if, you, if we really know God's forgiveness, we don't have to hide our imperfections in our lives. Because here's the deal. When it comes to receiving and, and, and working through that forgiveness in our lives, oftentimes the only people that know about that are ourselves, right? We haven't, like, gone to that level relationally with with people, with God's people who he's placed in our lives. Like it's, it's, we tend to just like work, think we can just work through it uniquely on our own by ourselves, right? And so we get to, uh, we, we get to be a people who doesn't have to hide or pretend that we're perfect, right? If we then if we really trust God's forgiveness and we don't have to work on our ability to look good or seem like we've got it all put together. But we don't become, then what that translates to is, is we aren't the focus anymore. Our uh, ability to act out perfectly or look good doesn't become the focus because when we're in that position, we're the focus. Like we're trying our hardest for us to look good. But if we work through this in this way, the one that looks good and the one that's on display is God and his forgiveness. And we could act that out. If we trust God's forgiveness, we get to experience that forgiveness from God. And it is nothing that we do, that we put on display. I had a conversation this week um, uh, you know, they were, we're working through some stuff and some relationships, uh, broken relationships and people far away. And, and you know, somebody had made a statement, well, uh, you know, all Christians are hypocrites. And I said, yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. And I got to warn the people. I was like, okay, well, if we're going to talk about this, I'm going to agree with that person. Like, yes, we are all hypocrites, okay? Because here's the deal. We aren't a, a, a people that should be claiming that we have it all figured out, that we're in a better position than anybody else because we hopefully are the ones that have experienced God's forgiveness. And we banked on that over and over and over and over again. So yes, we are hypocrites. But what's different, what makes us different is that we get to press into that forgiveness. We're a forgiven people and we get to move on from that. And we get to live a life that isn't, we aren't worried about what people think of us and what, or what, what, trying to look good, right? And so, yeah, I got to say, I got to, I got to stand up for you guys. Yes. Actually, my church is full of hypocrites. Thank you. <laughs> so there you go. So if you say you go to CTK Sun Valley, you run into somebody in Wonka County, they say, hey, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> yes, we are. All right. Okay. So, but. Uh, and we get to then display that forgiveness for everybody to see in our lives, right? So that's 
what we get to do in this. And I think two things really happen for us. We're going to close with these last two comments here. Two things happen for us when we live our lives according to how we deal or need forgiveness. There's kind of two kind of main points I want to close us with. Is that, uh, and they're based on how we respond to the outcome that is produced and how we work through uh, forgiveness in our life. Okay? Uh, Isaiah 59.2 says this. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Okay? And so what this does uh, is, is in, and kind of we touched on this earlier, is that sin controls our lives. Okay? If we have in here, I'll fill in your blank for you and then we can kind of work through this. Unforgiven sin holds us captive. So sin we haven't worked through in our lives holds us captive in our lives. Whether that be between you and I or between me and God, right? Those are those things that are always turning in your head and always something that you're struggling with, always something that you're trying to work through that you know you haven't done it. And really, there's kind of three ways. There's uh, what we have done, right? That's a big one. Like all of us walk in this room with huge wounds of things that we feel we've done in the past or that have been done to us that like directly affect where you sit right now. Only one person agrees with me. So that's good. Maybe you guys have really worked that out with God. <laughs> but, but we do. We have those things that we oftentimes bring with us. And then it's the things that we continue to do. Okay, so uh, this is kind of what iniquities mean, right? He forgives us for our iniquities. And so this is the idea of things that, that I'm thinking about constantly that I struggle with in my life. Like, I know that I continue to struggle with these things in my life. But yet, what do I do? I still fall victim to them. Because I know. I wrestle with it for quite a while before I actually act on it. But I know these are the things that I'm wrestling through in my life. And God still for, he forgives us for those. He wants, he, wants, he wants us to work through those. Eventually, we may get it. Right? And then the last one is sin. The sin in our lives. And this is... This is, the, this is the one that I think we can all relate to, and this is just the idea of we missed the mark. Something has happened in our lives, and we just didn't act the way that we should. We didn't display uh, the, the life that God would want us to do uh, in the moment, right? And he forgives us kind of of all those things. But equally, most all, all of those things in the scenarios you're working through in your life directly affect and hold you captive if you don't work through them. Much like that relationship with your neighbor where you avoid them in the grocery store. That's the same kind of effect that we have with God with through on, on, on uh, kind of work through sin or uh, not receiving the forgiveness that, he, that God has for us. And here's the deal. This is, um, this is kind of the, the, the closing point. We got Moses this is now later on in Exodus, starting in verse 8. Moses bowed to the ground at once and whispered, Lord, he said, if uh, I've found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sins and take us, uh, or take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you before all people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. 
The people you live among will see how awesome the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. So you got the sin that holds us captive. Then we get a picture of what God does with it when we release it to him. And that is, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people who live among you will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. That statement is God talking to his people after they've made this calf, this golden calf, and worshiped it instead. God said, you know what? I forgive you. Still have a plan. And it's going to be amazing. God is saying, I am going to use my people to do amazing things. And that means you guys, as we work through this forgiveness for God. And I love that there's this picture in Peter in the New Testament that has a, is having a conversation with God, with Jesus. And Jesus uh, is teaching through this guideline of how do we forgive people, right? How do we forgive people now? Uh, and in this conversation, God talked about uh, how you forgive somebody who's wronged you, I think. Uh, I think I have it. Where's my Oh, here it is. Um, it's title, it's in Matthew, uh, a brother who sinned against you. So Jesus is teaching about a brother who sinned against you, and, uh, and, and, then, and then just following that, um, he's going to talk, he's going to teach another parable on it, but Peter says this, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus replied, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, some of you might actually have somebody in your life that you've forgiven 77 times. But that, I think, I mean, that was more a number of like, no, not seven, 77. Like, continue to do it. Because then Jesus teaches a parable about the, uh, the unmerciful servant. And there's a servant who, um, who owes the king this money. And, uh, and he comes before the king, and it's a, a substantial amount of money. And the king, and the king says, no, uh, you know, you need to collect. I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to actually sell your family off because of the money you owe me. And he's like, no, don't do it. Don't sell my family off. Like, that's what, they mean the world to me. And, and then, God said, or then the king says, okay, fine. I'll forgive your debt, completely forgiven. Go be with your family. And then the parable says that Jesus, that the, the, the servant uh, walked out and then went to somebody who owed him money and said, hey, you owe me money. And then the, the guy says, oh, no, I don't have any money. Like, and then the, the servant then throws that guy in jail because of the money he owed him. He, it doesn't hand that same forgiveness off. Right? He throws him in, uh, in jail, the debtor. And so in this story of teaching this, that is Jesus' way of telling them, like, like, this is our job, like, to display the forgiveness that we've experienced because of our shortcoming to then display that for others to see. Offer that up, right? And this isn't like the Christian people just get to walk all over you. No, this is like truly forgiving. All those things, loving, and, and being able to display that for people. God's people are the stage where forgiveness is displayed. That in this very unique culture where forgiveness and, and apologies and all that kind of stuff are really short and, and unmeaningful and really not present. 
we get to experience this amazing forgiveness and then display that to others in our lives. So I want to leave you with this. I need you to know, and and so that's kind of it. Like the sin kind of controls us, then we allow it to forgive us, and then we get to display that forgiveness to others. I want you to leave. I want to leave you with these three things. Believe. I want you to believe that we that you need to be forgiven. That nothing in your life that you have done is unforgivable. Nothing. So quit holding on to it. And then we get to extend the same forgiveness that we've experienced to others in our lives. Right? We get to extend this forgiveness to others. Even, even when it's so unnatural. Like when we're like, no, except for that. Like I can forgive most of the people in my life except for that. No. Like that's the greatest display of it. That thing that you don't want to forgive, that's like going to be the, the greatest display of God's forgiveness for somebody. And then we get to see God's forgiveness in each other. And this is, that happens in our groups. That happens when we do life together. Like I said, most of us in this room, we don't have to, like, we're just hiding our sin and going to work it out with God in time. But what happens is when we do this together, we get to experience that forgiveness together. And that happens in our groups. Last week, we talked about groups and put it in your bulletin. I left them in there this week on purpose. Our small groups, our men's groups, our women's groups, they're in there. And it's at that level, not this level. This is like, hear it, walk out, feel good about Sunday, and, and go watch the Hawks in the second half. Like, like, that's what happens here. Maybe you get more than that, that's great. But what, where we really experience the forgiveness, the love, the, the, all those things, those truths about God, happen in deep relationship with each other. So I want to encourage you to do that. Amen? Let's pray.